0: Wow, what a special weekend it's going to be this weekend as we launch our next semester of life groups all around the world and in all of our locations. A very big welcome to you as you join us from wherever you are in the world. My name is Pastor Craig. Let's pray together and then we'll jump into this weekend's message. Father, we thank you that we are part of your family. We are part of, a, of an organization that binds us together and, and forms the an incredible thing that you call church. And so, Father, we just receive and understand the responsibility, the wonder, and the grace that you have placed in our lives. Thank you, Father, for all that you do in binding us together as one big family from around the world. We love you, Heavenly Father, and right now we declare you our God and there is no other. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen and amen. Well, today I thought what we'd do is jump straight into uh, the Bible. If you're joining us from wherever you are in the world this weekend, or you're joining us here in the room, uh, why don't you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 25 to verse 29. And I, I thought maybe if you just click on the, on the Bible tab or the notes tab, uh, open up your Version Bible apps, so you can follow along with us as we read um, this very famous section of Scripture from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Just then, a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed this question, Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? So Jesus replied to him, Well, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? The religious scholar answered, It states you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, That is correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Wanting to justify himself, the leader questioned Jesus further, saying, Jesus, what do you mean by my neighbor? Today's message, we're going to be joining together in understanding who is our neighbor in a message as we launch out our life groups entitled, Hello, Neighbor. You know, as human beings, when we are asked to reach out to help somebody that we perhaps don't know, we justify ourselves like that religious leader does by asking questions. But those questions don't always mean that we're wanting to find out how to best serve somebody. No, those questions are generally there because we are putting an excuse between us actually having to be neighborly to somebody else. As human beings, we use any excuse to be the kind of neighbor that Christ has called us to be. We justify our reservation from helping other people. We justify our reservation from stepping out and being a good neighbor. And we use things like prejudice. We use things like inadequacy. We use things like pride. And hey, we even use something called racial orientation to say, hang on, that's not my kind. I can't be that person's neighbor. Who is your neighbor? A question that that same uh, leader, that scribe and Pharisee asked. What do you mean... By my neighbor. He wanted clarity on who his neighbor was so that he could work out the easiest possible path to being a neighbor. Being a neighbor according to Jesus Christ is not always an easy path. Being a neighbor according to Jesus Christ sometimes takes some self sacrifice, some energy, and putting yourself out a little bit. And so this leader inadvertently probably represented a whole lot of you and me today. When, when we think about ourselves, when an opportunity arises to be a neighbor, we think about helping our neighbor put out his garbage or running over there with the jumper cables when his car won't start or, or doing the simple things. And you then give a big button to yourself and you say, look at me, I'm a good neighbor. Well, Jesus Christ was telling the story about the Samaritan road and, and the, the event there and the Good Samaritan because he wanted to teach the world that being a neighbor meant a whole lot more than just doing a comfortable good deed. Being a neighbor means a whole lot more, can I say it again, than just doing a good deed. Prejudice keeps us from being a good neighbor. The definition of prejudice is prejudging or having a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Can I read that again to you? Prejudiced is having a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. In other words, prejudiced is when we are selectively neighborly. When we select who we wish to call neighbor, when we reason who our neighbor should be because we're looking for a comfortable neighbor to help, where we're able to be neighborly just in the comfort zone, then we're being selectively neighborly. And that fundamentally is being prejudiced. You are prejudiced against certain people and are helping them when they are in need. James chapter 2 and verse 9 says it like this, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. If you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You see, when we understand that at some level, all of us, carry some prejudice, all of us have some type or some form of selective neighborliness in us, we begin to realize that actually we've not really been stepping out of our comfort zone all that much to be a neighbor. We've been choosing our neighbors, choosing who our neighbors are. What do you mean by neighbor? Choosing and selecting who our neighbors are to justify the extent at which we will go to help them. We have been prejudiced against certain groups, certain people, because of look, because of color, because of race, because of creed, because of tongue, because of situation, because of financial status. We've been pre- prejudiced against them, not because we hate them, but because we don't necessarily want to have to love them. You see, the true definition of this understanding is prejudice isn't the, the, the presence of hatred. Being prejudiced is just the lack of love the lack or the desire to find the best possible way of helping somebody in need. The very first thing we can do if we want to be a good neighbor, the very first thing that we can do if we want to step out and be a neighbor like Jesus asked us to be a neighbor, is well, we can ask ourselves a couple of questions or come to some realizations. The first realization that we're going to want to make if we want to be a neighbor like Jesus has called us to be a neighbor is found for us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. And in the message, it puts it like this. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. We need to practice real love. And to practice that kind of real love, we need to identify that at some level, we have some level of prejudice in us. We need to understand that at some level, we are judging people according to our comfort level. We are looking at somebody and saying, do I want to help? Does it, does it fit in with my agenda to help that person? Is this person really my neighbor? Because if they're not really my neighbor, according to my checklist, I don't have to help them, and I'm excused from helping them. How many times don't we sit down next to somebody, and well, because they haven't been able to bath and shower in the last couple of weeks, because they live on the street, and because of their body odor, we cower away from them. The simple prejudice against that person is is built up in our lives simply because of their body odor. Perhaps we, we don't really like helping people that aren't the same color as us. Perhaps we don't like people helping people because, you know what, they don't earn as much as we do or have as many things as we do or have as little as we do. Or maybe we don't like helping them because of the color of their skin. Racism is alive and well in the prejudiced Christian world. Can I say that again? Racism is alive and well in the prejudiced Christian world. You see, when we have a look at what prejudice can do, I only have to look at my own home country. In South Africa, prejudice, racism crippled a nation. It took an entire political revolution to try and bring it out. And In 1994, when the then president, Mr. F.W. de Klerk, teamed up with the, the, the incumbent president, Mr. Nelson Mandela, The two of them eventually went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize together because they strategized on how to abolish this racial prejudice. For a few years, the country lived in this wonderful world of an unprejudiced ideal. It was called the Rainbow Nation. And when this country began to slip back into prejudice again after those few blissful years, we now see again another change in government happening in that country because of prejudice People are being killed. You see, prejudice and racism, not just because, hey, I feel comfortable, but prejudice and racism becomes entwined in us. We get used to judging people. We get used to alienating people that aren't the same as us. We get used to pushing people aside. And eventually, that slight level of prejudice that you have because you don't really want to get out of your comfort zone, slowly but surely can turn into something as nasty, as evil, as full-blown racism that will cripple and kill a country. You see, prejudice kills. Neighborliness injects Christ's love into a situation which brings life. We are here to bring light and life. We cannot be labelly if we wish to be prejudiced in any way. Prejudism kills countries. Prejudice kills communities. It will kill your family. But loving people as Jesus has called us to love abolishes that prejudice thought process and institutes the wonder of God's grace and love, which is good for all. So the first thing we have to do to make sure that we don't get down that slippery slope, is instead of cowering away from being a neighbor just because we didn't feel right, check yourself. Do you or are you aware of the slight levels of prejudice that you might have in your life? Seek to understand others, number two. Go out of your way to put yourself into somebody else's shoes. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 puts it like this. Don't just pretend to love others really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. So the first thing we have to do is recognize that we have some degree of prejudice in our lives. The second thing we have to do is go out of our way to show that we genuinely, good neighborly, genuinely love others. But then don't just seek to understand those that are like you. No, number three and making sure we become good neighbors, is that we love those different to you or from you. For most humans, the threshold of being a good neighbor or not is whether you like the person that you need to be a neighbor to. Is this really my neighbor? Let's test it out. Are they like me? Do they, do they talk like me? Do they look like me? Do they act like me? Will they like me? Will I like them? Who really then is my neighbor? To justify ourselves, we begin testing whether or not we are comfortable calling them neighbor. And only when we are comfortable calling that person neighbor, do we embrace them and bring them in. No, the threshold is not whether you will be liked or like the person that you are called to be a neighbor. No, for Jesus Christ, the threshold is whether or not you admit that you need and love Jesus in your life. Because if you admit that you need and love Jesus in your life, you will be ready to be a neighbor to anybody in need. And that prejudice will fall away. You can't base your actions on the non-judgmental grace and love of Jesus Christ and still be a bad neighbor. No, if you base your actions and your life on the non-judgmentalism of Jesus Christ and the grace that is in the offer for all, you will find that you will be the kind of neighbor to anybody that is in need that Jesus has asked us to be. Galatians 3 verse 28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all neighbors to everyone all of the time. This is is the call that Jesus has asked us to fulfill. Being a Christian is loving the person in front of you in the moment in the same way as Jesus loved you. Being a Christian is having the same kind of love for whoever is in need, for whoever is in need, not who's my neighbor in need. No, whoever is in need, having that same kind of love, And then having a look and saying, well, hang on, I need to love that person in exactly the same way as Jesus first loved the soul on the inside of me. So what does it look like when we go through these steps? What does it look like living in a Christian neighborhood? I'm not talking about a neighborhood where everybody's Christian because that could become prejudiced. I'm talking about what does it look like in the greater capital C church neighborhood when we start applying the principles of being a non-prejudiced neighbor like Jesus has asked us to be? Well, Ephesians 1 and verse 5 says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to do so. The very first thing that will happen in a Christian neighborhood where neighbors are being neighbors as Jesus has called them to be, Well, the orphans will be embraced. And I'm not talking about children without moms and dads. I'm talking about the orphans who don't have a heavenly father, according to that scripture in Ephesians 1 and verse 5. You see, Jesus, and through Jesus, we can be adopted into the family of God. For those who have not been adopted into the family of God, sometimes they are very difficult to love. They are very difficult to be neighbors to. They don't get our talk. They don't go to church on Sunday. They don't tune in from wherever they are to join church. They think you're crazy being a Christian. Those are the orphans that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about those who have not been adopted by a heavenly father through Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly father that really wants to adopt them as children but the decision is theirs. The the kingdom is theirs for the asking if they wish to choose so. And so we have a whole group of people that, quite frankly, we don't get along with. Leanne and I recently went home and we were fellowshipping with some people back home in South Africa that, that aren't Christian. We love them. They're great friends. But man, it's difficult to get on with some people who aren't Christian. They don't talk like we do. They don't refer to the same things as we do. They don't have the same things in common. We struggle with their kids and and how they bring up their children without Scripture. and, And it's just a weird environment. And so we'd rather not be around them. Well, isn't that being prejudiced? Isn't that stepping out and saying, hang on, I'm more comfortable calling somebody in my own local church my neighbor because I can get on with them easier? And so the very first thing we need to realize is that in a Christian neighborhood, those without Jesus are embraced. Not pushed aside, not judged, not said, no, no, you aren't of us. You don't have the same morals as us. Of course they don't have the same morals as you. They don't have the same relationship with God who imprinted the morals in them in the first place. They're not going to be the same as you, but we are called to be their neighbor. We are called to love those who have not yet been adopted by Jesus or through Jesus. It gives God great pleasure when we love those who are far from Him. Because when we can love somebody that's far from Him, we're probably loving somebody in the same way as Jesus asked us to love as a neighbor. When we can love somebody far away from God and get over idiosyncrasies, language, cuss words, things that that aren't really that important, Well, we can love them into understanding that Jesus loves them just the way they are, but he loves them enough not to leave them where they are. And so we can get to a place where orphans are genuinely embraced. The second characteristic of what it looks like to live in a Christian neighborhood is this. The poor are empowered. And once again, we're not necessarily talking about financial poverty. Here in America, people define poverty as not having any finances. Well, poverty is actually brokenness. The root of all poverty is brokenness. The truly poor define poverty as a mindset of thinking. You can be stinking rich and still have a poverty mindset that you're not good enough. You haven't achieved enough. You've still got to do more. You're broken because your dad used to say that you would never amount to much. You can have all the finances in the bank and you can still be classed as being in poverty. Why? Because you don't have the dynamics of the love and grace of Jesus Christ activating you. You might have received Jesus, but because you haven't even thought that you're good enough to step up and help other people at a rate of being a good neighbor... You haven't been activated in this dynamic of being with Jesus Christ. You haven't felt the empowerment of grace. You've just felt the benefit of grace. Can I say that again? Often we get caught in poverty mentality because we've received grace because woe is me, low is me. I need God's grace. Yes, God's grace has been been provided for you. But God's grace has always also been provided for you to empower you to be the kind of neighbor that Jesus has called us all to be. And so when we can get to a place where the lowly, the downtrodden are lifted up and empowered, we are making sure that in a Christian neighborhood, the poor, not necessarily the financially poor, are empowered. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 to 19 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see according to that scripture we reach out we don't necessarily reach down. We have got this thought process that as a neighbor we need to reach down to the poor, the shameful Oh, they got so little. We need to condescendingly reach down to them. And the more we reach down, the more we pick ourselves up and say, look at how good a Christian we are. No, no, we are not called to reach down. We are called to reach out to anybody in need. We reach out, not down. Another characteristic of perhaps a Christian neighborhood looks like this. The lonely are loved. Jesus loved the lepers by touching them by being in the middle of them, by being part of them. And you know what? The lonely sometimes are the ones that really bring us down. They're the ones that we kind of go, do I really have to be this person's neighbor? They're so needy. They're needy because they need Jesus. And you are the purveyor through your neighborliness of Jesus' love and grace to them. This lonely that needs to be loved A lonely person needs to be embraced. A lonely person needs to feel that you are part of their life, that you're willing to be with them, that you're willing to spend time with them. You're willing to listen to them. All things that Jesus did. Jesus touched the lepers. He asked them questions. He lived amongst them. He had supper with the sinners. He walked amongst those who were seeking out a relationship with God. We're not talking about being a good friend to somebody that's lonely. No, that's comfortable neighborliness. No, we're talking about helping somebody that's lonely only come to Jesus. That's risky neighborliness. You have to put yourself out on the edge to approach somebody and say, you know what? I can give you temporal friendship, but God can give you eternal sonship. See, that's the difference between being a good neighbor and being a Christ-like neighbor. When we try and be a good neighbor, it's temporal It's just for the moment. But when we become a Christ-like neighbor and we bring those who are hurting, those who are downtrodden, those who are lowly, the genuine Jesus Christ solution to their problems, we are giving them being a part of an eternal family that they will always feel loved in. They will always be a part of. They will never be poor again. They will never be lonely again. And they certainly will never be orphans again. You see, we need to understand that we need to have hospitable hearts, not hospitable hands. Did you get that? To be a good neighbor in the form that Christ Jesus has asked us to be, our hearts need to be hospitable, not just our hands. It's easy to go down to the food bank and prepare food for somebody in need. That's hospitable hands. Good for you. Nothing wrong with that. You keep going. But if our hearts aren't hospitable to the people that we're serving, they will never see Jesus. Jesus is in our hearts. And if we let people into our hearts, they will see Jesus. Our hearts need to be hospitable. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 17 to 18 says this He brought this good news of peace to you, Gentiles, who were far away from Him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. You see, because Christ has done something for us in our hearts, if we open our hearts to the lonely, the poor, the downtrodden, the orphans, those far from Jesus, and they catch a glimpse of what Jesus has done on the inside of you, they'll want that for themselves too. And that will be genuine Christ-like neighborliness. The kingdom is open for all, but it's not automatically assigned to somebody. It's it's not just a, a given. The kingdom is open to all. All are invited, but sadly not everybody accepts the invitation. Many people will never ever feel the the warmth of being embraced by a heavenly Father in the action of repentance, in the action of forgiveness. Without your hospitality, they may never meet that. Without your heartfelt hospitality, they may never see that. They may never get the moment where they know that they are no longer alone and they are no longer orphans. We don't get the luxury of making the decision of rejecting Jesus for others. Our job is to constantly, to whoever is in need, be showing a Christ-filled heart to those who want to love Him. It's not just some job of some missionary somewhere. No, it's our job. If we love Jesus like we say we love Jesus, well, we'll love whoever needs Jesus just as much. If we genuinely say that we are Christian, it's time for us to stand up and get out of our comfort zone and move into a place of opening our hearts. Yes, even the heart that was hurt, even the heart that was was stood on and trampled on, and the history that you have with people hurting you, it's that heart that is probably being refined and defined to help somebody in a similar situation to you. But if you never open up your heart because you don't want to be hurt, the hurt will never see the heart of Jesus wow. And as we begin to see that if we open up our hearts to the hurting, to the lonely, well, then they will begin to see the heart of Jesus and they'll be able to learn the love of Jesus. It's not just for the specially called to go to some trampled down African nation and provide for the people there. No. Missionaries are a special breed of people and we give honor to those who are called away from home. But right now, What happens if we don't have to travel very far to get close to people who are distant from God? You cannot be selfish and self-centered and hospitable at the same time. You have to be aware of the fact that the hospitality of a good neighbor is one that's going to have to invite people into my living room. One that's going to have to step out and say, I've never led a life group, but I'm willing to try. One that's going to have to say, well, let's get a group of people together to go and help this area or to go and help in this situation. Let's form a life group around our community needs and actually not just be sitting around in necessarily a holy huddle studying the Word of God, but actually come together as a team, as a life group, and get out and go and share the Word of God. It's not just the job of the evangelist. It's not just the job of the pastor. No, as Christians, every single Christian is called to be hospitable. Every single Christian is called to be a neighbor like Jesus was asked to be a neighbor. Hospitality is recognizing the value in our fellow man, even when they can't recognize it themselves. Hospitality is recognizing the value of the lowly, the value of the orphan, and not reaching down to them, but reaching out to them by opening up, by being hospitable with our heart. Selective hospitality is choosing to value some more than others. I don't get to determine the value of others. God does, and he's placed the value of his only begotten son as the price against their name too. Value is determined by what God was willing to pay for a life. You see, hospitality and good neighborliness, not selective neighborliness. No, genuine Christ-like hospitality, genuine Christ-like neighborliness. That is there so that people can see Jesus. Jesus does the changing. We just have to do the showing. We just have to show people the kind of love that Jesus has done for, or has for us. By demonstrating that our hearts are open, just like Jesus' hearts are open. The definition of, of neighbor is a friend or any other person. Your fellow man, in other words. Your neighbor. According to Jesus, your neighbor is any other man or woman, irrespective of nation or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet upon. You see, according to Jesus, there are no outsiders. No one gets left behind. No one gets left out. No one is due to be feeling alone. When we define neighbor as only being people like us, we begin to look for things in others to define them as not being like us so that we don't have to get involved with them. We, we start looking and justifying ourselves as the religious leader did and say, hang on, I don't need this person to be my neighbor because it's going to make me uncomfortable. It's going to make me have to give up something. It's going to have to make me change my mind about that racial group, that, that economic group, that kind of person. That's what Jesus is asking you to do. He's asking you to look at somebody that you don't know and have the mind of Jesus Christ about them, not your own preconceived ideas. He's asking you to open up your home to strangers. He's asking you to lead a life group that you've never ever thought that you could possibly do. He's asking you to step out and and actually activate others around you to be good neighbors. Wouldn't it be awesome if in your stepping out to be a good neighbor with hospitable heart, that you encourage others to step out and be a good neighbor with hospitable hearts and watch not prejudice killing a nation, but hospitality healing the world. You see, when we are hospitable like Jesus has called us to, His healing, His power, His love oozes from us. And there can only be healing. There can only be benefit if that is what is happening. Don't define your neighbors as those who make you comfortable. Define your neighbors as anybody that needs Jesus. And go out there and meet them. We're going to take a moment directly after this message, and your friend Josh Johnson is going to come on up and let you know how you can get involved, not just leading a life group, but being part of a life group. Starting the process of perhaps stepping out for the first time. Maybe you haven't been out of your comfort zone in a while and you need to be gently nudged. Well, you can do that from your armchair right in the comfort of your own living room. Online is the best way of taking the first step of getting uncomfortable as a neighbor because you can keep people at a distance but still love them through things like Facebook, through Instagram, and through other platforms. You have an opportunity to be part of other people's worlds and be a neighbor to people from around the world. We have an opportunity here on the online platform to really reach out to different cultures, different creeds, different language groups, all because we are part of Victory Life Church online. So I want to encourage you. Take a moment after this message, not just to say, oh, that was a great message. Thank you, Pastor Craig. I feel encouraged. No, get involved. Take your first step to understanding what what it's like to be a good neighbor. Let's pray together, and then Josh Johnson will be right up to tell you how to get involved. Father God, we thank you so very much that we can come together from wherever we are in the world. We can be genuinely neighbors with thousands of kilometers, thousands of miles between us. Father, will you warm our hearts to the understanding that we need to open up our hearts for others to see you. We can't back away and cower in a corner of excuses and prejudices just so that we can be comfortable. No, you've called us to step out, to meet up, to reach out, to get together in our community far beyond the walls of church and be who you have called us to be so people can see that you wish to love them. Father, thank you for stirring in us right now hospitable hearts, open neighborliness, and not prejudice and racism in our minds. Father, we thank you for being a part of this motion, this community that's driving towards honoring you and worshiping you. All nations, tongues, creeds, and, and, and people gathered together to worship you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you do, for your direction, and your discipleship. We love you, and we declare you our God, and there is no other, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.